Father, again, we are so grateful to come before you uh, just to hear about your grace, how we would uh, definitely lose the race, uh, yet uh, we would continue to run as if there was something to gain. But yet, Lord God, your grace came and saved us, so we thank you for that. Now, Father, as we enter into your word, we ask you that you would strengthen us. We ask you that you would touch us, Lord God. We pray that you would align us with your will, because we want to be obedient children. Today, we want to say that we love you and we thank you, Lord, and we are receptive to your voice. Now, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. What is your favorite restaurant? I can hear you saying already that, uh, Pastor Spencer, you already have us uh, during a time of prayer and fasting, and the next question you ask is, what is our favorite restaurant? Well, some of us uh, enjoy restaurants like Wendy's and KFC, White Castle, Burger King, or whatever your favorite barbecue joint is. While others say that, you know, I enjoy Panera or I enjoy Chipotle because not only is the food good, but it also promotes healthy eating, especially for most of us who are fasting now. Whatever your preference, we don't think about corporate decisions when we order that burger, do we? When we order that salad or that taco or those really hot french fries, we don't think about the corporate decisions at all. Yet everything you order has been predetermined from a corporate headquarters somewhere in the world. These corporate food mammoths have thought about, tasted, tested, prodded, probed uh, every aspect of your experience when you enter their grounds. From the way the building looks on the outside when you drive up to what you think about those french fries after you have devoured them. Their vision and plan is then handed down to every single franchise to ensure that their mission is fulfilled with exactness. They want to impress you, whether you live in the Midwest, on the East Coast, on the West Coast, on the other side of the world. They want to impress you with your eating experience at their restaurant. And they want to turn what you think about food upside down. That's what they want. There's also a similar experience, a similar relationship that exists between the kingdom of God and the church. The church represents the best interests of God's kingdom and all that it does and all that it hopes to do. 
As the church, we're supposed to be concerned about a people's experience when we present them with a spiritual encounter concerning Jesus Christ. God wants His kingdom, His kingdom churches, His kingdom people to have a message that conforms to His will, all the while uh, attempting to turn the lives of those who don't yet believe upside down. You see, when we bring in the Word of God to turn people's lives upside down, what we're really doing is turning their lives right side up. You see, people are living their existence today with their feet hanging up and their heads down, and they think everything is okay. They're living upside-down lives. But our purpose is to turn everything right side up on its head. In Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 6. Acts 17, beginning in verse 6. And when they could not find them, they were looking for these rabble-rousers, these apostles who were preaching this gospel all over the place. And it says, and when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. You see, these uh, holy rabbi-rousers, these disciples of Jesus Christ, uh, they were saying that there is this other kingdom, there is this other king uh, that supersedes everything that you thought of in life. When they heard that message, uh, their, their, their world was swirling around in their minds and in their hearts. Uh, they were having a very difficult time uh, trying to grab hold of the fact of uh, uh, there is another king. There is no other king but Jesus. This is why during that time uh, that when you say uh, that uh, my Lord is Jesus Christ, you see at that time the only Lord that there was was Caesar. So when you say that your Lord is Jesus Christ, you're saying that Caesar really is not all he's supposed to be. So there is this relationship that exists between the kingdom of God and the church. Uh, this relationship which is not static, right? Uh, this relationship between the kingdom of God and the church is not trapped between these pages. See, part of our mentality is, is that God or my salvation or Jesus, that it really isn't living and breathing and is only trapped within what we see here. The Bible is not on exhibition, as in an art show. But it is God's living words meant to spring forth life in our hearts. Every time we read it, and every time we hear it, uh, something should happen to us. In other words, uh, when we encounter 
God and his word, we should never be the same. Something a little bit more should change about us when we come to church. Something a little bit more should change about us when we read the word of God in our devotions every day. But if we uh, come and nothing happens to our heart, then we must ask ourselves, what's going on with me? You see, it is not God's word that the problem, uh, that the problem oftentimes is me, oh me, Lord. So as a united front, the church is to present one view to the world, and that view is of God's kingdom. Well, I know that uh, some say, well, your mission statement is to proclaim the kingdom of God. You can't uh, uh, overlay your mission statement on every single church. Oh, yes, I can. Why? Because the kingdom of God is a priority of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of heaven is a priority of God himself. So if that is a priority of God himself and a priority of Jesus, that means it is a priority of the church. Therefore, we must not only understand about this, but we must act on the intertwined relationship that exists between the kingdom of God and God's church and his saints. Matthew 16, beginning in verse 17. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon's son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Uh, while I'm thinking about this, let's just go ahead and get this last part out the way. All right? Uh, you've heard it time and time again how folks run around talking about how they're going to bind up the devil in the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, I bind you in the name of Jesus Christ. Believing that if they bind him in the name of Jesus Christ, the scripture says, Jesus says, it has already been done in heaven. Right? But the problem with that is that when we look in scripture, Satan isn't bound until a much later time, right? And if Satan is bound in a much later time, do you think you're really binding the devil? Right? Uh, so you are doing things or saying things which are outside of the authority that God has given you. So let's put that aside. That's done. Amen? Amen. All right. So uh, the church will not be stopped by the prevailing winds of aggression blowing against it. The church will not be stopped by the prevailing winds of aggression that is blowing against it. Knowing this should, should give us confidence in God's plan. These are moments in the spiritual life that sometimes make us wonder, however. right? If we are truly honest, uh, 
uh, we are occasionally plagued with thoughts like, yeah, I know what Scripture says and I know what he's saying, but I just don't see all that happening in life. I see uh, this thing happening over here, this is happening in this church, and look at this person calling himself a believer. So it looks to me that the prevailing winds of the aggression of darkness against the church look like it's winning. But Jesus says what? The gates of hell, what? shall not prevail against it. What is the it against his church? You also know that some believers in churches, that they are not as committed as they once were. That they're doing plenty of things that the Lord has never commanded them. In some cases, they are doing what... Uh, what the Lord has commanded, but God did not yet command them to do it at that particular time. So they're still walking out of the will of God. So it feels sometimes like the church has lost its power to the whims of believers who refuse to, to walk in the fullness of confidence that they find in the Lord Jesus Christ. But regardless of what we see, Regardless of what we think, Jesus says that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Now, I, I say this. Now, when the Lord calls us all, all home, uh, uh, I want to be on the right side of this word. Amen? I want to make sure uh, that I had that confidence in him while I was on this planet and not wait till I get there and say, oops, I was wrong. But this requires faith. Among all the dear saints who proclaim God's grace to a world that lacks it, it requires a steadfastness, an unmovable stance concerning what we believe and how this works out within our hearts on a day-to-day -day basis. So even though Jesus, we see it very clearly, that he was responding to Peter, he also speaks directly to us. No amount of huffing or puffing, no amount of threats or intimidations will stop the church from accomplishing everything that Jesus wants it to do. So one of the things the church must come to grips with, however, is the fact that it does have authority. Did you realize that in Jesus Christ you have authority? Did you realize that, you know what, well, yes, I trust in Jesus, he's my Savior, and that's it. Do you understand that, that the Lord has given you authority? Question is, why aren't you walking in it? I'm not talking about, again, the type of authority that people speak of and say, I'm victorious in everything I do, and I just speak it out, out of my mouth, then automatically it happens. No, 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 that's not the authority I'm talking about. I'm not talking about this pie-in-the-sky victoriousness that has been whipped up through popular psychology and has found its way into the church. We are victorious in all things if we operate according to the will of the Lord. You are victorious in all things if you operate according to the will of the Lord. 
okay, maybe you didn't hear me, but I'm going to say it one more time, that we are victorious in all things when we operate according to what? The will, the will of the Lord. But God's will is also being in submission. And the church must always be in submission to the Lord else all of our hopes will be dashed because of our own personal desires that drives life. See, we can't, we can't get God's will mixed up to what we want to do. Right? Uh, some people, you say, well, I've tried praying, but it just don't work. Well, maybe because you're not praying according to the will of God. Maybe all of your prayers are only selfish desires. I know. I've already told you how uh, the fact, how the devil tries to pick us off one at a time. There's one here, then one there. But in Jesus Christ, we are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. So as a church, we have authority to operate in the name of Jesus. Are you the church? And the answer is yes. So if you are the church, uh, you have the authority to operate in the name of Jesus. Matthew 16, 19. He tells Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So as we saw already in verse 17, uh, God the Father is in heaven and then in verse 19, he has given access to heaven via his disciples. Do you get that? Do you realize that the key to the kingdom of heaven is the gospel? People are, are, are walking around on this earth trying to figure out, what's my purpose? Do I belong anywhere? Am I really connected to a, a, a God if there is a God? Guess what? If you are a disciple in Jesus Christ, you have the key. question is, because you don't have a bunch of keys jingling around in your pocket, you don't think you have anything. I know how it is, because we want to see all these grand and lofty things that Jesus speaks of. But again, uh, the preacher in Hebrews says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of what? Things not seen. So you got the keys. They are jingling. You just can't hear it. You got the keys. They are in your pocket. You just can't see them. You have the keys to the kingdom of God. Now, having the keys of the kingdom is not about regaining your lost hopes and dreams now, right? Amen. We're talking about all oh, that, uh, that woman that I lost years ago. I got the keys to the kingdom, so therefore I'm going to unlock it, and she's going to come running to me. Amen. Pastor Scott, no, ain't talking about that. He says, no. Because she's already there, right? All right. Amen. All right. All right. And the reverse is also true, right? We're not talking about, you know, that job that I always wanted. Oh, I got the keys to the kingdom of heaven, so I'm just going to unlock it, and then they're going to call me back, and I'm going to take that job and all the money that I got lost, I'm going to get it back. No, we ain't talking about that either. 
You have access to the kingdom of God because you know the gospel, you know the gospeler, you know the person who's behind, in, and through the gospel of Jesus Christ. But as we heard last time, in order to have access of that gospel of the keys of the kingdom of, 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 of heaven, you first must be a citizen of God's kingdom. You first must be a citizen of God's kingdom. Else, how can you have access to the kingdom of God? And this is a huge responsibility that we have. Therefore, we must walk in the confidence of the Lord, knowing that we have been given the green light by the creator of the universe to proclaim his agenda all over the world. Now, uh, before we go off on a tangent now, okay, all right, uh, uh, now you're saying, Pastor Spencer, I have authority, right? Now, Pastor Spencer, you're saying, I, I, I currently have the keys to the building. So because I have authority... And because I have the keys to the kingdom, uh, now I'm Mr. or Mrs. Big Stuff. So now I can go off on a tangent somewhere because uh, the Lord has imparted a level of authority and responsibility to me. Uh, that, but this does not mean that we should be mean-spirited or arrogant in our spiritual life. Amen? In other words, it would be similar to people, and you know who I'm talking about, I'm just not talking about your person because I'm just not in your mind. I'm just talking about uh, what we experience together. We're talking about, it's like those folks who finally get a chance to become your supervisor. Or those folks who finally become your manager on the job. Right? And now they finally have some power and some authority. And you know what happened to some people. Not, 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 all, not all. But you know what happened to some people, right? They, they get out of control. Why? Because they just want to tell you what to do. They've been waiting all their life to finally be top dog, and now that they're finally top dog, they're going to show you who's boss. Many years ago, I, I took a position as a teacher. And uh, on this particular job, I had to go through a series of interviews, uh, three level, three or four levels of interviews. My last interview was uh, a panel of eight people just, just to teach. I'm like, man, come on. Let's go ahead and hire me and get this over. So anyway, I, I passed with flying colors every single lo uh, level of, of interviews, every single one. Was, without question, everybody said, yes, this is the right person. So I get the job, and I'm into the job a week later. Uh, my supervisor at the time, who happened to all also be new on her job, right? Um, my supervisor, uh, she says, she just comes to me out of the clear sky blue and says, you know that I really didn't want you to be the teacher. And I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> After a week, I saw the ceiling. One week Literally five days on the job, I knew it was not going to end well. Because most of you, you know, you know how I am, right? You, you, you know it by now, right? But after five days, I knew it was not going to end well. But I, I hung in there. I hung in there for a whole nine months, y'all, right? And in those nine months, I mean, I was already an experience. This was not my first gig as a teacher. 
I hung in there for nine months, y'all. And this person couldn't find one thing good that I did. Not one thing. But I, you know, after five days, I, I saw the writing on the wall. Right? So this was, this was their first opportunity to finally, they had spent 23 years in that system, and they had always just been a regular teacher. And then finally, this was their first time to be the boss, and man, were they just, it was just ugly. I'm not going to call them ugly, but the situation got really, really ugly. And I remember driving down the street every morning, going away to, to that job, and I would just pray. I'm like, Lord, you got to, you, you need to fix something, Lord. Lord, you need to, Lord, you need to do something. Get me out of here, move her out of the way. And I prayed and I prayed until I found the Lord. And, and, and they came one day and they said, you're fired. Well, I didn't think much of it because, you know, I, uh, again, if you also know me, you also, you probably know that I had a backup program, uh, a backup plan as well. It was already, it was already sizzling. So I left one and went right to the next job. But anyway, years later come to find out that this person ended up being a very apologetic to someone else years later because they knew they did me wrong. But I, I submitted the whole time. I, I submitted. I was not ugly. I did, even though the situation was ugly, I submitted the whole time. I made my complaints. I filed everything. But you know how it goes sometimes when you're the low man on the totem pole. Sometimes you, you, you don't have any leeway. So what am I saying, right? I'm saying don't cause trouble for people just because God has given you confidence and authority. Don't get, don't get nasty and ugly and think you're all of that. Because remember, it is Jesus Christ who died on the cross for you. Realize that we are walking under and in the authority of Jesus because he humbly submitted himself to the death on the cross in order to obtain our freedom. We will not represent ourselves or our Lord well by acting like that we are power hungry. So the relationship between the kingdom of God and the church, it first means that nothing can stop the church. If you are a part of the church, nothing can stop the church. But never think the church is only a building. See, the church is an organism, right? It is living, moving, and breathing. Would the church continue uh, if, this, if this building were to collapse with us outside of it, of course, right? Uh, would, would the church continue? Right, it would, because the church is the gathered saints. When we come together, we become the church. Here it is. What about that authority? The church is endowed with spiritual gifts to implement God's kingdom agenda on earth. The church is endowed with spiritual gifts to implement God's kingdom on earth. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives 
and he gave gifts to men. First, we see that uh, Christ gave gifts to build up the church. We know Christ builds the church, but it does that through means of people whom he has gifted. Right? So nothing can stop the church. We got that, right? Amen? Well, how does the church move about effectively doing the, uh, uh, <clears throat> with God's kingdom plan and mission? He does it by gifting the saints of God. And it has to do with the authority of stewardship that God has given uh, us as his church. Now, uh, some people insist they are Christians, but, but they don't think it's necessary to be a part of a church. Right? Some folks say, I, I don't need to go to church. Yeah, I'm a Christian. My church is on TV. Well, guess what? No, it's not. You are watching maybe someone preaching. You are watching someone teaching, but that is not your church. Right? How can you, how can you be in submission and under authority when you're sitting in your house? How can you strengthen other saints gathered together who know you and whom you know if you're sitting in your house? As we've heard before, the Lord did not design the church with the idea of only one purse possessing all of the gifts. Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 13. And he gave the apostles prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. Notice uh, first uh, the plural form of the word apostles. Right? It doesn't say apostle singular or prophet, uh, that these are all plural, apostles and prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers. According to the verse, they all function in various people for the benefit of the whole. So is it possible to find them all in your house if you don't gather together with other saints? Well, probably not, unless you invite them on a regular basis. And if you invite them on a regular basis to your house, then what? You are a church. On the other hand, some consider these to be offices within the church, yet they are still gifts the Lord has given at one point in time. But I know some of you, you look at these and say, uh, I, I don't have these gifts, right? You're saying that Jesus, we just read in Ephesians, that Jesus, he gave gifts to men, and he gave gifts to all of us if we are to function as a church. Well, I'm not, a, I'm not an apostle. I'm not a, uh, an evangelist. I'm not a prophet. I'm not a teacher. I'm not, a, a, you know, so on and so forth. Well, I, that's not who I am. So where is my gift? So you wonder, where do I fit in in the body of Christ? Really, where? You see, it's very easy to only think of those that you see up front. Only those here and there and there as the only one who has gifts. But guess what? That's not true. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, God has given you a gift. 
But if I'm not one of those, then what am I then? I don't understand. Within God's kingdom, everyone gets a gift. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, Mark. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. See that? And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. You see that? Everyone without exclusion. What does it say? The word says what? Everyone without exclusion. Verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish or discern between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So we have already gone through one list which gives us spiritual positions within the church. Scripture says that uh, they were used to build up the church there in Ephesians. But know that uh, this building occurs not only within the church, but also we have to move outside of the church as well. 1 Corinthians is also a list that could conceivably be used in such a way that people don't realize that you're operating within a certain gift. Now, uh, my purpose today is not to defend whether or not uh, uh, these gifts are still in existence because we don't have time for that. But instead to say that God give gifts to those in the church for the benefit of all through his spirit. Amen? But remember again, here it is, that scripture is not just great literature because it is great literature. Amen? Uh, scripture does not sit on a shelf of some museum. It is the Word of God, and God's Word is alive. So now we see the giftings expand even more to include more people within the body of Christ. Come on, Romans chapter 12, verse 4. Where is my gift? Where is mine? I don't get it. I don't get it. Where is my gift? Romans 12, verse 4. But there are still other gifts within the body. There you go. But which we have not mentioned. For as in the body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we all don't do the same thing. Right? How are we all going to preach at the same time? You all going to stand on top of my head while you preach? For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Verse 5. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in, pro in proportion to our faith. Uh, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his 
teaching, uh, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, uh, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, uh, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Right? So there's yet another list. The kingdom of God is expansive. This relationship between God's kingdom and his church, we are a force to be reckoned with. So now this larger list, list gives us many more gifts. Uh, and many of these can be understood by simply opening up a regular dictionary, but some requires a Bible dictionary in order to understand them. But then, uh, you may look at this list and say, I still can't find my place because it doesn't cover what I do. I don't see my gift here. Right? In the past, I was quick to say, you need to figure out what your gifting was according to this. Right? Many, many years ago. If your ministry duty is not on the list, but what the Lord has shown me that other things that exist, oftentimes that they are subcategories of these others. For instance, right? Uh, if I am a sound engineer, I don't see the word sound engineer here on, the, on this list. So where do I fit in? Well, you fit in because you're, you're exhorting. You're help, helping the church to be exhorted. Exhortation. Right? The same thing occurs if you are a dancer. Same thing occurs if, if you do art. Uh, the same thing occurs if you walk around and you, you are mopping the floors. Don't you know that that encourages me when I see a clean floor? Amen? Whether we're talking about in the church or in my house, right? When I see a clean floor, it makes me feel good. But man, when I walk in my room and I see how my wife didn't put away all my clothes from the last week. Man, I get so discouraged, and I look at her, and I get tight lips, and I say, I'm not going to say nothing, because she's going to say, how come I didn't hang my own stuff up? So I'm not going to say anything to her. You know what? You know, that, that is very discouraging to me. But man, when I walk in, and it's clean, if you came in here, Hopefully it didn't happen today, right? But if you came in here and, 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 and there was mud all over these pews, would you be encouraged or discouraged? So we are being exhorted. We're being encouraged by what people do. And for that, we say praise the Lord. So the point of all this, understand God has equipped his church as a force again uh, within this earth in order to expand his kingdom. And this is why uh, the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. We come together to do the ministry that God has called us. If the devil takes one of us out, guess what? Someone else steps up to the plate and they stand and they continue the ministry, right? Because as, uh, uh, as uh, my mother used to say, I think I'm going to call them, my mother's uh, first name was Minnie. I think I'm going to call them Minnie-isms, right? Uh, one of the things that, that she used to say was, one monkey don't stop no show, right? You probably had, your, your parents probably said the same thing, right? All right? Uh, one monkey don't stop no show. Do you think if the devil tries to take one of you out that there's not someone else waiting to take your place? God's kingdom is expansive. God will not be stopped in his agenda here on this earth. You know, years ago, um, uh, we, we, we oftentimes hear in certain intervals that certain individuals come along 
in history and say, you know, uh, this is going to be the end of the church once and for all. God is dead. The church is dead. But every time it comes down to it, the church is still living. And the person that says that the church or God is dead, they're the ones that's six feet under. Realize who you are in Christ. Realize that you have power and authority. Uh, do you realize who you are? That the fact that you have the keys to the kingdom of heaven, uh, that tells you that you are cemetery disturbers. Each of you are cemetery disturbers. That every cemetery that you drive by, that one day it will be disturbed because you have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. What do you mean? Because when you uh, convey the message of the gospel, that one day that those who died in the Lord will one day pop up out of the ground. Why? Because you are a cemetery disturber. That that is your purpose in life, to promote God's kingdom and to be God's people as you live from day to day. doesn't make a difference how you hurt, and you may hurt. It, may, it doesn't make a difference how you, uh, how you feel because our feelings are fleeting. One day we'll feel good and the next day we will feel bad. But God's kingdom, it moves on. Yes, but you don't have my gifts, but I don't have yours either. Guess what? The kingdom of God is strong. The kingdom of God is strong because of people just like you who never give in and never give up. Believers like you who, who never give in even when the devil tries to beat you up before he beats you down. God's saints who understand the relationship between the church and God's kingdom, uh, that the kingdom of God is strong because of just people just like you. Yeah, you're not that in a bag of chips and you don't have this, that, and the other, but yet you are a cemetery disturber that people will be resurrected uh, from, uh, from being dying in Christ to being in relationship with Him in heaven. Because often relationship between God's kingdom and His church, because of that, we will turn this world upside down because by turning it upside down, it will finally be right side up. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. We thank you for your love and your compassion and your mercy. We thank you, Lord God, for encouraging us today. We thank you, Lord God, that we are kingdom people, that we have no worries of shrinking back. Because you're...